Welcome to the Cowbell Fever podcast. Today we're speaking with Quetzal Levins, a Berkey skier and meteorologist for the National Weather Service in Duluth, Minnesota. I really enjoyed this conversation, and it didn't get too nerdy, but we might bring her back for a really deep dive into atmospheric physics and other exciting things at a future date. There's even a snowy forecast for the Berkey in the near future, which we discuss in the podcast. The Cowbell Fever podcast is supported by Patreon supporters. You can become one as well by going to patreon.com slash offsevit. That's my last name. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash O-F-S-E-V-I-T. Thanks to current supporters Ben Mullen and Brian Mar- Marks. It's also brought to you by the SkiWise app. Looking for new trails during the pandemic? Trying to keep tabs on the latest conditions? Tap the app, snap a photo, and you're good to go. To go skiing, that is. Find it as skiwise-app.com for Apple, Android, and desktop. S-K-I-W-I-S-E-app.com. Thanks, Ketzel, for coming on the podcast. And Ketzel Evans is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service Duluth office and is going to talk about skiing, going to talk about weather, and going to talk about the intersection of those two things with the Berkey. Ketzel, you're a Berkey skier. How many Berkeys have you completed? I am. Just barely. I've only completed two Berkeys so far, and I only started doing the Berkeys when I got to University of Wisconsin-Madison and started skiing with their ski team, and that was just a couple years ago. So I've done two full Berkeys, and then I also did a couple Cordies in high school as well. So where did you grow up going to high school? I grew up born and raised from Bayfield, Wisconsin, so about as north as you can get in the state of Wisconsin, right next to Lake Superior. So you're sort of between the Berkey and Duluth. Uh, so you're, you've stayed pretty local uh, when you're in your in your job. I have, yeah. I you know I went kind of south for college in southern Minnesota and Wisconsin, but came right back. And it's it's the snow and the winter and the lake that brings you back every single time. Obviously, this year's Berkey is going to be different. We don't really know if it's going to be in person and what everyone's going to be able to do. But last year's was pretty fabulous. How was your ski last year? Oh, my gosh. Last year was just an absolutely amazing race. So I classic and it was, you know, we managed to nail the wax and I just had honestly just fun for 55 kilometers last year and temps were really great and ended up being a beautiful sunny day so there wasn't much more that I possibly could have asked for last year. And I don't want you to have to toot your own horn too much but what wave do you ski out of? Um, I ski out of the elite classic wave. Classic skate is that something you'll decide on each year or you mostly ski classic? I uh, I'm just a diehard classic skier. I I do both uh, recreationally and every now and again I'll do a skate race. I always like to do the skiathlon great bear chase race at the end of the season where we do both disciplines Uh, but there's just something about classic. I love hitting that that technique and really just getting into your stride that makes it all worth it and one of my goals this year is to get a little bit better at skate which is kind of nice with the setup this year. It allows me to not have to worry too much about my race, but I just, yeah, I don't know what it is, man. I just keep coming back to it. And assuming that uh, that we can ski in person, are you doing skate classic or both? <laughs> I did debate doing both. Um, unfortunately, the, the operation schedule, um, working at a forecast office is a little hectic and I decided to just keep it simple. I'm doing just the classic race. Um, I decided to go with the Friday classic time slot in person, assuming that it still goes in person. Who knows what might happen in two months. I do plan on getting a COVID test before I go down just to be 
absolutely as, as safe as I can. Um, but I'm looking forward to that, that classic race on Friday. That's a pretty easy day trip for you. It is. Yeah. It's only about an hour and a half from Duluth down to, down to Cable. You, you mentioned sort of the hectic office. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about sort of what the day-to-day life is at at your job at the National Weather Service. Sure. So at the local forecast offices, we are open 24-7. So there has to be someone, usually two people or more, in the office around the clock. Um, And so that means that we work on shifts. Generally, you have like a day shift, which is a pretty normal time shift. Um, And then you have an evening shift from kind of afternoon to just about midnight and then you have that classical midnight graveyard shift where you generally go from like midnight 11 p.m to like 8 a.m in the morning so there's always somebody there every single day of the week so sometimes you luck out and you're working mondays to fridays but other times you're working midnights through the weekend and when you're there for the most part You're working on the short and long-term forecasts for your area. So there's 122 forecast offices across the United States, and each one of them has a CWA, which is a county warning area. Um, And so for the Duluth office, that's much of northeast Minnesota and northwest Wisconsin, including, of course, Bayfield and Sawyer counties, which is very important to us Berkey folks. And so for that specific area, we will forecast pretty much whatever is going to go on in the next 24, 48 hours, of course, in our short term, and then all the way out to about seven days in the long term. And so that's one of our main goals is to be pretty much your source for forecasts and warnings. Um, And then beyond that, we also are trying to provide a constant dissemination of current weather information and current conditions. So that's where we get things like winter storm warnings and and winter weather advisories and and all of those fun things that we hope to see those bright colors on maps. Exactly. Yeah. So anytime that, you know, those headlines maybe come up on TV or you maybe it comes up on your phone, that's all coming from your local National Weather Service office, whether that be winter storm watches, warnings, advisories, or anything in the summer with our convective weather. And then for Duluth as well, we also have the marine forecasts for the nearshore waters of Lake Superior. So we're also issuing things like small craft advisories and gale warnings, storm warnings. So you're basically an, uh, an office that deals with the ocean, even though you have a lake. Exactly. And, you know, Lake Superior is more of an inland sea than anything. So we, we think we're, we're pretty ocean-like. So how did you get into this background? How long have you been at the National Weather Service? And, and how, did you, how did you get there from, from going to college and then going into the NWS? So I, I probably got into weather just in, as a general interest in a kind of different path than some other meteorologists I know. For many, it's like that one big storm, you know, maybe it's a blizzard or it's a tornado when you're a kid and you're like, oh yeah, that's the thing. It's probably before your time, but uh, for a lot of people in Minnesota, it was that storm on Halloween. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the 91 Halloween blizzard. For me, it wasn't one big event. It was actually in seventh grade, uh, we were asked to do a science project and it could be on like literally anything. And I sat there for the longest time, unsure of what I was going to do. And finally, I was like, oh, 
clouds are pretty neat. I'll dig into those a little bit. And from there on out, it was just this constant interest of looking at the clouds and figuring out where lightning was coming from. And it was always kind of in the back of my mind. I never really was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a career out of this one day. It was just like, this is going to be a hobby. And going into college, I actually originally went to college for physics instead at Carleton College, which is in southern Minnesota. Um, And about two years into that, I finally figured out that I was just too interested in weather for it to be only a hobby. And I ended up transferring to University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I majored in atmospheric and oceanic sciences. Now, there's a lot of physics that's involved in weather. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of physics. I just, I, I was more interested in fluid dynamics and stuff like that than I was atomic and nuclear physics, um, which is where quite a bit of modern physics is headed. But you certainly need to know your dynamics and mechanics and a ton of math as well. So it was actually really nice to come into the atmospheric science program with that background. And then I graduated with honors this just this past May. Actually, it was a very underwhelming graduation. And I did some stuff on and off through the summer. Uh, My partner and I moved up to Duluth in May. And then I actually only started at the National Weather Service here in Duluth in October of this year. Are you hoping at some point to go back and get to march through Camp Randall and have the whole ceremony? Yeah, I am. I have no idea when that might happen. um, Because I mean, it's thousands of people. We did do a really nice virtual graduation just within the department, uh, the Atmospheric Science Department. We actually got Louis Uccellini, who is the head of the National Weather Service. He went to Madison and he talked at our virtual graduation. So that was a really lovely time. They did the most with what they had, but it would be nice to go back and see everybody in person at some point. When you were in school, was there anything in particular that you studied? Any specific projects that you worked on? I did, yeah. There were a couple projects. One of them, which unfortunately ended up not getting the funding that it needed, uh, was a project within the Apostle Islands National Lakeshore, which is off the coast of Bayfield in Lake Superior. We were putting together a project, my advisor and I, to put together high-resolution forecasting and then an observation network within the islands to try and get better marine forecasts disseminated to all of the marine interests in that area, because there are quite a few, especially in the summer. And I actually worked as a sea kayak guide for several years in that area and trying to make better forecasts available and better current observations available for all of those marine interests. But unfortunately, we didn't get the grant funding we needed for that. The other big research that I uh, was a part of started in the summer of 2019, uh, when I actually got a research fellowship at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography, which is in San Diego, California, a very different climate than northern Minnesota and Wisconsin, where I studied atmospheric rivers, which are basically these low to the ground streams of moisture that come from the tropics to the mid latitudes. And they're really big on the West Coast because that's their main source of water for California. Um, And so on the West Coast, you have these streams of moisture that get transported up, slam into the mountains on the coasts, and rain or snow out. But what I was interested in, and what became my senior thesis at Madison, was 
how do we get atmospheric rivers not in that coastal kind of situation, but instead in that kind of mid-latitude situation? And how do those work into the banded snowfall that we end up seeing in the Midwest, which is a huge portion of the snow that we end up getting in the winter? So basically, I determined that there was an atmospheric river that is, exists in the like the middle of the continent, which we hadn't talked about a lot before. And then I said, okay, the moisture gets from the Gulf all the way to northern Wisconsin through these different kind of transport pathways. And so that was the bulk of my senior thesis, and it's something I'm still focusing on today. It's really nice to know that that usually happens. Uh, what's going on this year? Oh, this year is, it has been painful, not only as a skier, but as a meteorologist, it has been just quiet and warm. Um, we got ah, the funkiest kind of fall weather. So we got in, in northern Minnesota anyways, this kind of brief snowstorm that came through late October, and then it all melted because it got to 70 degrees in the beginning of November. And then we got another little snowstorm in early to mid-November, and then that was like it until about a day ago. So it's been just a very above normal temperature and below normal precipitation fall for the most part. And northern Minnesota is starting to get back on track as far as snowfall goes, but northwest Wisconsin is really starting to hurt as far as snow goes on the ground. And we are, or we were, it's pretty warm, pretty above average as far as our temperatures go. Generally in December, we would normally see highs in the mid to upper 20s. And for a lot of December, we were seeing highs in mid 30s, even reaching the low 40s. So a, a warmer than average, quieter than average fall so far. And you're not really supposed to go past the next week, but what do you see for the next week and beyond if you can sort of go beyond your local forecast? I, I can attempt to go beyond a little bit. Usually, um, in order to go beyond that as far as like for the next couple of weeks into the winter, um, we use the Climate Prediction Center or the CPC's outlooks, and they issue 6 to 10, 8 to 14 day outlooks as well as three-week and several-month outlooks, and it looks like things will hopefully be turning for the better, um, at least for us skiers, if you're not a fan of winter, which I'm sure no one listening to this podcast <laughs> falls into that category, then maybe not as great, but it does look like for both January as well as the three-month period, January, February, March, we'll be entering a period of more above-normal precipitation, so Generally, that means more snowfall uh, for that Wisconsin-Minnesota area. And then they put us in equal chances for temperature. So that means that climatologically, we could go below normal or we could go above normal. And generally, that means we stay right around average, which is usually, like I said, for December, it's kind of in those 20s range for highs. January gets a little bit cooler and then February starts warming back up uh, for our high temperatures on average. And then even in the next week, it looks like there's going to be a bit of snow in the region and actually some cold temperatures, which are important, usually to freeze up the lake so we can ski across it, although less so this year. Yeah, I guess we don't have to worry about the lake this year, which is kind of odd to think about. But we have a system coming through just tomorrow, um, Wednesday, the 23rd of December, that should deliver some snow to the region, especially northwest Wisconsin, which desperately needs it. And then temperatures are just going to plummet behind that system. And we're going to have actual temps below zero and wind chills that keep 
even colder than that. So it's going to be a very chilly Christmas 2020 um, before we look at a couple more snow chances before the new year. And you're going to actually make me produce this really quickly because otherwise that forecast will be completely stale. So <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that verifies. So. I guess I have something this <laughs> afternoon, but by the time you listen to this, you might actually know if the National Weather Service was right or, you know, maybe not so right. You know, we're not right 100% of the time. No forecaster is. But you're doing your best. Exactly. We try our best. And a lot of what you use, and, and I don't want to go in too deep to, to this, but a lot of what you use are the numerical models. You want to go quickly into how that, that works and how those have advanced in recent years. So a lot of what we use, we don't do the actual math ourselves because it's a number of partial differential equations that would take forever and we can't do that by hand. So what we use is a suite of models basically that each have different parameters put into them and because of that um, they all kind of end up with a little bit of a different solution generally in the long range. We usually assume that in the short range all of the models that come together start to agree on one solution and that's how we get confidence in our forecasts is saying oh yeah we have this, this, and this model that are all saying we're going to get four inches of snow tomorrow. What can happen is that they don't agree, and usually that's in the longer term. With this forecast, we're actually still dealing with a lot of uncertainty where the models aren't agreeing, and because of that, we have low confidence in our forecast. And it's not because we don't know how weather works, it's because our guiding models aren't totally sure what's going to happen. They're all physically correct in their own domains, but based on where they start and what parameters they take in, they can come out with a little bit of a different solution. And so that's how our confidence ranges um, between all of these different models. And some of them have different resolution than others. There are global models that are run out to a very long time scale, so we can get an idea of what might be coming in the long range, but they're not on a super short resolution. And so they're only updated every six or 12 hours and they're spaced out such that their grids within their system are pretty wide versus some of our more fine detailed models, which aren't run out as far in time because they have so much more going on to them that it would just get chaotic. But they do give us coarser things like convection or lake effect snow, and they can give us an idea of more detailed aspects. Um, and hopefully they all come together at some point to give us a general idea of what's going to be happening. If people are on the National Weather Service website poking around, I assume not many people are listening to the weather radio anymore. What are some of the things that they can look for if they want to get sort of beyond the here's what the temperature is going to be tomorrow? Yeah, so there's always the point and click forecast, which is kind of on the same level as you've got. You can get you can basically just click on the little map on the National Weather Service forecast page to get your forecast. Really is what we want to know is that cable because that's right. Exactly. Like we don't care about your current location, but you can click on cable. So you'll go to the National Weather Service Duluth page if you want the cable forecast, which is going to be weather.gov slash DLH. So like I said, there's point and click forecasts, which are pretty much simple, gives you highs and lows, chance of snow, possible accumulations, if any. But if you want to dive into it a little bit more, um, a couple things that are going to be on that website as well. Down near the bottom is going to be the weather story, which is generally just a really nice, easy graphic to see. Gives you a little bit of an upcoming idea of the next couple days. And that's generally down on the bottom at the left. It says weather story. A different thing, if you want to get a little bit of a 
kind of behind the scenes look, something that I don't think a ton of people are aware of. By the way, this is my favorite yeah, thing. I'm uh, yeah, I, about you know talking. exactly what yeah, I'm talking about, um, is under forecasts, there's something called the forecast discussion, which is written by an actual human forecaster. So sometimes you? Sometimes me. Yep. You'll see yep. Levens down at the bottom if I've been writing it. Um, and there's a discussion portion. There's an aviation and marine portion, because that's what we do all our forecasts for. And if you read through those, they're issued three times a day with updates throughout the day. That's going to give you a behind the scenes look of what that forecaster is thinking when they issue those graphics that you see. So what are some of the meteorological dynamics that are coming together? What's the atmosphere doing? What do we think the atmosphere is going to do? What's our confidence level for what's going to happen? And how are all those things going to come together for our weather in the next couple days? And so, yeah, I love writing it. I hope people love reading it. It really just gives you a little bit of an inside look to what's going to be happening in your weather. And, you know, that little personal touch is always there. Any chance there might be a shout out to the Berkey at some point this uh... Uh, this February as we come closer to race day? Maybe. There is. It always gets a little funky between private and public entities. We certainly at the forecast office, we are constantly aware of all of the events that are going on in our area. You know, we're aware that several thousand people make their way up into the Cable Hayward area. And we certainly make sure that our forecasts um, might reflect more people on the roads or things like that. But we can't always disseminate information directly to them in order to not cross that public and private line since we are a government entity. Maybe you can just mention the Cable Hayward area is something very important at that time. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you might not see Berkabiner, but you might, you know, because we're aware of those greater impacts that could be caused due to the fluctuation of people into northern Wisconsin, you might see something like that because we're focusing on it and we're making sure that our information is getting to the people who need it. And if you're reading along in this and you have no idea what something means, and, and what I'm, I'm actually looking at the Duluth discussion right now, and there's something mm -hmm. that says snow totals for the system are still uncertain with GEFS -E plumes still showing totals on our northern portion to be anywhere between 2 and 12 inches. What is a GEFS plume? A GEFS. So we always just say GEFs, plumes. Um, anytime you see plume or ensemble, that's generally, um, it's a collection of different models. And, and GEFs is we, an ensemble? Exactly. So GEFs yep. is the GFS kind of American models. Um, it's an ensemble of all of those that we look at to see what is each of the deterministic outlooks that each one gives, so the exact amount that each one gives, in order to kind of come up with an average of all those models. So that's where a low confidence forecast can come into play. Like you said in the discussion this morning, they said these plumes are saying anywhere from 2 to 12 inches of snow because each deterministic solution isn't exactly agreeing. And the plumes never exactly agree, but generally they'll narrow down a little bit. And so we have the GEFs plumes, which is, like I said, kind of our American models. Um, and then there are plumes of like all the global models, all of the short-term models. Um, and those are things that we look at so we don't have to look at each model 
alone because that would take forever. Then we can kind of look at them all at once and see where the average of all the group members is heading. And if you look at the area forecast discussion, which I'm looking at right now, and you see something that's linked and you click on it, it will give you a go to a glossary and it'll give you a little bit uh, of, of maybe what some of those abbreviations mean. And so it might give you some uh, interest and you can always go down a Google rabbit hole to find out more. Oh, yeah. You know, Google is your best friend. <laughs> Those definitions are interesting. Just so everyone out there knows, the forecaster who is writing the discussion doesn't decide which terms get linked. The system just automatically goes through all the words and says, oh, this is a technical one. I'm going to give you a link for this definition. So if you come across a word and you're like, well, why isn't this one linked? I have no idea what it is. It's not our fault. We had no control over that aspect. And sometimes it will link something. So it, right now it says, as we head into early Wednesday morning, but head is highlighted. And if I click on head, it says, in hydrologic terms, the difference between the pool height and tailwater height, usually expressed in feet, which means how much height there is in a dam. So uh, you might find things like that, too. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not perfect. <laughs> I could talk about this all day, and maybe at some point we will, about forecast modeling and how all of that does and doesn't work. But I want to keep this to a reasonable time. So I guess the last question I have is that you are working in an area that has some of the highest temperature fluctuations in the, in the country, if not the world. And so you really see in Duluth a whole range of weather from blizzards and way, way sub-zero temperatures you know, that sometimes go to 40 or 50 below, up to 100 degrees and thunderstorms in the summer. Do you have a favorite kind of weather to experience? And do you have a favorite kind of weather to forecast? Oh. Yes. I mean, all weather is wonderful, of course. I am completely and totally biased towards winter weather, and that is the skier in me and the fact that I've done research on mostly winter weather. Uh, specifically, um, this is partially from growing up in Bayfield, I love lake effect snow. It is just this absolutely cool phenomena to watch roll in and the really really cool thing about lake effect snow is the snow to liquid water ratios that can come out of it so normally we would use like a 10 to 1 or 12 to 1 snow to liquid water ratio which means that for every 10 inches of snow if you melt it down there's one inch of water in it which is pretty basic. If you get that super wet concrete snow, it's down to like five to one, eight to one. Um, and then sometimes general systems can go up to like 15 to one, but lake effect snow is just super dry because there isn't any of that like tropical moisture being advected into it. All you've got to work with is the lake and the polar air that is streaming across it to form it. And so with lake effect snow, you can easily get up into those like 20 to 1 ratios and even before in the UP of Michigan they've recorded like 40 to 1 ratios which is just you know kind of a perfect powder day to be honest but I think it's just so so cool and as far as forecasting I mean as long as there's snow in the forecast I'm pretty happy to be looking at that but I've really been enjoying this year watching the Alberta Clipper systems move through, which are these systems that kind of very quickly sweep down from central and western Canada and nick us with a little, uh, a little snow. Sometimes, if we're lucky, up to three, four inches, which is kind of what we got a couple days ago, um, and then continue on their way. And it's just because they're so different from your more typical system that pulls moisture out of the Gulf. It's they're just these quick little systems. They're 
barely have a low pressure center to them. Um, and I'm just fascinated in how they get their moisture and how they produce snow because they're not pulling any moisture from Canada. So it's, it's a really fascinating system to watch come through, but we don't think a lot of them. This was excellent. Thanks very much. Hopefully we'll talk to you again before the race and maybe get some more specific forecasts for race day and have a great ski season and hopefully have a great Berkey wherever you wind up doing it. Thanks. You too. Have a great holiday season. Well, I definitely learned something today, and I hope that everyone else did. Thanks for the great conversation, Ketzel. And you can find the National Weather Service at weather.gov, the Duluth office at weather.gov slash DLH, and you can also follow them or any local forecast office on Facebook and Twitter. For the Duluth office, they're at NWS Duluth. And stay tuned for more Cowbell Fever podcasting to come soon. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and I think this is going to go up today, so happy Festivus, everybody.